As a comedian, my way, my contribution to the Holocaust though, is that way, a way with levity, light way, because uh, this is my style. I, don't, I am not a director who, who uh, show the violence or the horror directly. Uh, my style is to, to evoke. I'm sure there are Holocaust survivors who've seen this film. How do they react generally? Mamma mia. They, I was afraid because, uh, you know, uh, uh, I respect so much uh, them. And uh, as a comedian, I am uh, my habit. Uh, I am used when the, the light uh, go up uh, to see people laughing, you know? And uh, when I screen, uh, the first screening of the movie at the Milan Jewish community, this is a really discombobulating my, myself because uh, when lights go up, uh, went up, uh, people was crying. After when the movie came out, uh, they, they wrote wonderful things, uh, they wrote me letters, they planted for me and Nicoletta Braski some trees in uh, Israel. So this is uh, my personal Oscar. scares us and what saves us. This is the fear of God. Hello, and welcome back to your favorite podcast at the intersection of faith and fear, where every week, and especially this year, we discuss what scares us in order to find what saves us. This is the fear of God. Speaking to you right now is one of your hosts, Asia Schwartzentruber, and typically with you is Nathan Rouse and his fellow co-host, Reed Lackey. Um, but both of them had some personal business they needed to attend to outside of the podcasting world. So they asked myself and another FOG staff member to fill in for them this episode while they're out. Now, that's one version of the story. The other possibility is that we've locked them both in a basement somewhere, chained to a radiator like a third world coup, and that we've usurped the podcast and you'll never hear from them ever again. We'll leave it up to you which of those scenarios you believe. In either case, allow me to welcome you listeners back to What Saves Us, the second of a pair of overarching series this year, this time featuring films and media that nurture your wonder, that invigorate your awe, that enrich your humanity, not to overstate things, but that are saving you now. Last week, we trekked through the jungle for the mission, and today, we are giggling our way through the lush Italian countryside while slowly descending into existential chaos with foreign cor correspondent Vera Gaudi and also with 80s maven Jess Fishley. Buongiorno, principesas! How are you? Hey, buonasera! This is exciting. Yes, so happy to be here at Ladies' Night. Oh my gosh. Ladies night. Ooh, what a night. Yes. I mean, I, think, <laughs> I think that's seventies to be honest, but that's all right. Hey, it's all good. It's all fair. 
<clears throat> so, ladies, if you don't mind now playing around of hide and seek in this little box over there, while I remind listeners that here at The Fear of God, we explore. We don't explain. Except for now, when I explain that you can find every fog and fear of God thing imaginable at thefearofgodpodcast.com, where you'll find essays, team bios, episode archives, merch, as well as lovely pictures of us. <laughs> um, I think we've just got some minimal business to get to this week uh, before we dive into everything, uh, certainly not least of which, especially according to Nathan Rouse, is uh, watching... Uh, episodes five and six of season two of Ted Lasso. Uh, if we did not bring this up, I'm sure some impending doom would befall all of us. Uh, we are hiatusing Ted Lasso. Yes, we're taking a break from actual the actual discussions, but make sure that you're caught up on what there is to see before we come back next week and everybody will be all happy, especially Nathan. Uh, so I guess... Do you guys just want to jump right into it with some watches if there's nothing else that anyone here would like to say? I'm so excited. This is so different. Is and awesome. I think we're all yeah. super stoked. Yes, this is awesome. I want to know. Cosa stai guardando? Cosa stai leggendo? Cosa stai astilitando? Huh? No? <laughs> oh my gosh, Vera. What are you watching? I, what are you reading? Really? I just to? felt good that I listened to the title. <laughs> We're not going to refer to the film tonight as Life is Beautiful. We're all going to say La Vita e Belle, oh, which yes. sounds quite terrible. Go ahead, Vera, and like give it to me a little bit better. I think La Vita e Bella. Bella. Yeah, you got to conjugate those verbs. Oh, <laughs> man. <laughs> Good. Guys, I took Spanish one three times. You can't. <laughs> Languages. Let's slow down. I, the only problem, I took German growing up, so I feel very awkward right now. So. <laughs> I don't even know if we need a jingle with that amazing Italian introduction to it. No, so. we'll let the Island family play us in. Okay, <laughs> take us away with the jingle. And what you watching? What you reading? What you listening to? So, I guess Jess, why don't you go first uh, with your whatcha? All right. I am very excited to talk about mine. I mean, it's always fun to talk about it, but I decided to watch a little documentary called Valley of the Shadow, mm-hmm. the spiritual value of horror that some of you may have heard of. No, um, never heard of it before. No, I know. <laughs> in passing. I mean, there's this guy, um, I think Reed or Lackey Liskell, someone like that was involved. Oh, the mythical. Right this um but seriously though i was drawn to it not knowing read i mean i definitely love um supporting my friends are like if i know somebody's done something i want to see it and hear it um but i love documentaries i have to be mm. honest like that is my first choice when um looking for films i have to say that i love documentaries so reading a little bit about it, hearing them talk about it a bit. I definitely wanted to check it out. It was really cool. It was just um, tons of film clips. It's little over two hours. And to me, it was like the greatest hits of horror, which again, with albums, I'm drawn to greatest hits. I like a little bit of everything. So it kind of just, there's a host and it, uh, Bill Oberst, 
I'm probably killing his Aristine, name. I Bill Oberst Jr. On, oh, yeah. Um, which I haven't heard every episode, but I do remember him from the Changeling episode. Um, he's got a great kind of, I don't want to say horror voice, but it's kind of menacing. He does a great job narrating. It's fine. You can say it. <laughs> it was like super educational. So you go through all the different kind of genres and themes in horror, like zombie movies, you know, nature attacks, werewolf, vampires, which is like literally every little segment. So there were so many movies I've never heard of. So I, I almost want to go back and take notes next time and kind of write down the ones where I'm like, Ooh, that looks interesting. That looks mm-hmm. interesting. And it also reminded me of some things I'd seen years ago that I'd totally forgotten. Totally forgot about Silver Bullet, this werewolf mm-hmm. movie I remember watching with my little brother. I had completely forgotten about it. Um, and then they just kind of segue in the last kind of 20 minutes or so of the movie, you know, bringing in the faith aspect. Um, and it was cool. They showed all these clips of like just, for lack of a better term, Jesus movies mm-hmm. through the last like, 30, 40 years, um, which I'm kind of interested in anyway. There's a time where I'd watched a bunch of different ones just to get different takes. I will put down that most of them show them with blue eyes, which is just <laughs> atrocious. <laughs> Jesus did not have blue eyes. Um, Look at you, Jesus of Nazareth. <laughs> so bad. But other than that, it was cool to see these little clips. And this is where I feel like it was cool, where you just, you kind of, um, you can see where Reed and you know, I know he was writing this with Tyler, um, but you can hear read, you know, yeah. through the, the narration and just they're talking about, you know, if we fear God, we need not fear anything else. And I think I what I really enjoyed about it is I think I, again, am not like this super duper horror fan, but I've always been drawn to it. And I think I grew up hearing like, you know that's not good. You know, like there's what you're being drawn into darkness. And, um, you know, even in my twenties, when I was getting a little bit more serious about my faith, I had friends I respected who were like, this is evil. And Mm -hmm. I kind of was like, okay, this is something I should not engage in. And, you know, I didn't, and I kind of saw it as something that would not be helpful to my walk with the Lord. So, Mm It's really cool to hear these different people of faith saying, you know, this is what it's done for me. And the, and the big takeaway that I really liked at the end was just like, you know, facing your fears is an exercise, you know, and it was kind of like bringing yeah. it back. And I was like, you know, really struck. And I just kind of thought about, I've always been struck by the verse where it's like working out your salvation with fear and trembling, cool. you know? Mm-hmm. that engages fear so anyway mm-hmm. excellent film really enjoyed it and i think everybody in the fear of god community would totally enjoy this worth so worth more than the six dollars of email so it sounds cool. like like a look into the head of reed lackey like yeah. lock and key you've got the head key and then you yes. open the door into Reed Lackey's brain. <laughs> that's what it sounds like really to me. Cool. And that's what exciting. a wild ride. <laughs> I think that's so valuable because I feel like that's such a common shared experience for so many people that grew up in a in a sort of a church or faith oriented situation to have had that very sort of standoffish relationship or just outright 
oppressive relationship with the horror genre. So that's such a shared experience that we all have. And so I think that's, it's a really valuable community (laughs) building effort as well for all of these people to have grown up with the same lived experience like that. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. Vera, what about you? What you been, what you been engaging with? Um, I have been watching a show on uh, Apple TV called Foundation. So it is a sci-fi series based on the Isaac Asimov uh, book series of the same name, Foundation. Um, yeah, very like heavy sci-fi. It's really well done. Who's in it? Lee Pace is in it. Oh, I know. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Who doesn't love Lee Pace? Who doesn't <laughs> love him? And... I have not read the book. I'm liking the show so far. I feel like I would understand more if I had read at least the first book. It's a little bit easy to get lost. Um, there are multiple timelines in play and characters, and but it's well done. It's interesting. Visually, it's super cool. Yeah, it's like, do you remember when the first two Harry Potter movies came out and it was just like skipping through the plot of the book? And I feel like if you didn't read the books, then like there's gaps. But if you read the books, you fill it in and you're like, oh, I understand what's happening and it's a movie. But without that, I'm not sure if it's a movie. So I'm waiting to see kind of how it wraps up. Um, But I love sci-fi. I love bringing really interesting, complex ideas to the screen. And I love that they're diving into more of that stuff and being more experimental with things that they're bringing to life on screen. It's worth watching just for Lee Pace and um, his character, honestly, is the most interesting storyline in the show. But if you signed up on Apple TV for the free trial to watch Ted Lasso, <laughs> watch Foundation as well. <laughs> so I'm doing it over Thanksgiving break, so I'm going to put Foundation on there, too. I'm like, love it. Doing it all. That's fantastic. And can I, I just want to say, it just makes me... I'm filled with glee and delight right now at the thought, because not only is it like such an unlikely pairing to have, you know, faith and fear, you know, these two supposedly opposing worlds meet, but also how rare is it? And I feel like maybe you two will, you could agree or disagree. How even more rare is it to find women who love this genre from this particular realm of life? You know what I mean? I I, very rare. (laughs) Yeah. Even just looking at, you know, the ratio of dudes to women in like the pod or the, uh, the Facebook group, it's, I mean, it's, you know, it is what it is. It's totally, it's cool, but it's, there's just something really special about being able to say that we're chicks that like horror. <laughs> yeah. I do yeah. love that. It is funny. I love my friends, but they don't get, they no. don't get it. <laughs> no, like the looks that you get when the, the book, it falls out of your satchel that you brought to church with you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're like, to pray for you <laughs> we're gonna yeah. cast the demons out of you oh, i did yeah. like the the horror makeup series for halloween and my oh. friends were just like i have to mute your videos for this <gasps> it's too creepy those were my favorite like some of my favorite parts are you i rave about that audio for those oh, of you who don't know vera has done the most stunning makeup series based off of what did you call it is it the magnus archives the magnus archives yeah and the audio to accompany it, I also understand, is from that same podcast. It's not from a podcast. Okay. It's a fan made, like a fan just made music to go along with each one of the fears. And I, I randomly found them in the Magnus Archives Facebook group. And then I was listening through the soundtrack and it inspired me to do my series based on the podcast, based on this other person's music. Oh, and they're stunning. Vera, you Thank truly you. outdid yourself. <laughs> 
they were amazing. Thank you. But some of them were like, yeah, like the flesh with like the face cut up. People were just like, oh, I can't. It's nine o'clock in the morning, Vera. Why did you kiss it so early? <laughs> I just I ate eggs. You know the truth. Were there any that didn't turn out where you're like, oh, that is not going up? Did you have any experiences like that? I did the stranger twice. So I did one look where it looked like my face had been peeled off and then I (laughs) pinned back on. And then I did the other one where it looks like um, a ventriloquist doll. (laughs) And I, I liked the concept of the ventriloquist doll a little bit more for the stranger. So then I was like, Oh, that was like two hours of work that I'm like wasting, but (laughs) (laughs) I love it. it I love love doing it. I love seeing so much like time and attention and effort just being put towards something that you're passionate about. That's just so great. I feel that way about your Violet and Fred series on TikTok. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Well, (laughs) I don't know. I don't know if this is the time and place for that right right now. That's uh, I guess I'm I'm glad to know in your watches that you've been watching that. Um, (laughs) I guess uh, my second watch. (laughs) I guess for uh, for my watch, I really really want to shed some light on and give some love towards a movie that I do not think is getting enough recognition. And I saw some really great movies this week in the midst of films such as like No Time to Die and Last Night in Soho and. Dune all coming out and being great. Tomorrow I feel like the Eternals. This, yeah, exactly. I feel like there's one movie that is getting super overlooked that I had the most powerful experience with when my husband and my friend and I went to go see it. And that is The Last Duel. Hmm. I went in, have either of you seen it? Nope. Yeah. Okay. I went into it with not much expectation. I was like, mm, Matt Damon and Ben Affleck are in a medieval film. I'm not really <laughs> sure about this concept. I'm not sure how I feel about this. At least Adam Driver's in it. I know that I, you know, I dig him. And I was not ready. I was not ready for the way that they deal with an extremely sensitive issue. Mm. And I knew, I knew that that's what the film dealt with, just sort of trailer, um, trailer amounts worth of information about the film. It is obviously a medieval film based off of true events, not entirely sure how loosely, but there are two um, friends, people who would call each other friends, one of whom's wife accuses the other friend of um, sexually assaulting her. And the whole point of the film is slowly unveiling to the audience and asking the question of, is she telling the truth? And then the subsequent, you know, via the title last duel Mm. based on what people believes to be happening. And it, it shocked me how profound the way they told this story was because there are a lot of very straightforward ways they could have gone about this that would have sort of been very open and shut case closed. And in a, in some respects it's like that, but it's, it is both somehow extremely in your face and very subtle at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also feel like obviously there's a certain caveat when recommending something like this, you know, it's very, um, it is very graphic in some cases, um, and could be quite upsetting to certain viewers. So there definitely be aware of that and, you know, kind of, I guess, scan, you know, scan whether or not this is a good choice for, for so, you know, yourself as an individual. Um, myself, 
having just had certain life experiences I have, I found it incredibly cathartic. Um, and I thought it was a super, super great movie. Um, so I, I really would want to, I want to give some love to that movie because I think it's largely getting overlooked and I feel like it has some really great, I think it has some great questions to ask. Uh, it's cathartic. It's also infuriating, I think in some really important ways. Mm-hmm. So, wow. Yeah. I, yeah, yeah, I had not even heard of it. So. No, me neither. So I'm like, yeah. it sounds with the last duel. Yes. Okay. All right. And it's yeah. in theaters right now. Is that? Yes. Okay. Yep. Yep. And again, I never would have thought Matt Damon and Ben Affleck could really pull off <laughs> a medieval style <laughs> genre. And somehow <laughs> it magically worked. Wow. So there's now, how do you like these apples? Right. There's none of that. <laughs> <laughs> it's just the plot of Goodwill Hunting, but then. Just- <laughs> All right. I mean, you gotta let it go. I mean, time has gone. <laughs> 20, 30 years or however long. Oh, oh. Well, I think I'm good with, with that. Watcha. Yeah. yeah. I think it's time that we, we got into. You, oh, what were you saying? No, I said we covered all the watches. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. What you watching? What you reading? What you listening to? Do we think it's time that we moved on to sort of the meat of the evening? I think so. Yes. The, and Vera, you're just going to have to say the name of the movie one more time for me to tell you, <laughs> if I can. La Vita La Vita e, e Bella. Bella. La Vita uh-huh. e Bella. Yes. Life is beautiful. This was my choice for mm-hmm. what's saving us now what's saving me now um a little oh gosh there's just so many directions go it's like breathe um a little summary for anyone who hasn't seen it this was a movie it's italian with the english subtitles i would recommend unless you know italian but um it was made in 1998 i believe um i did not see it until I was trying to remember probably 2003 or 2004 because I vividly remember my first child being an infant. Um, I had a lot of time to watch movies in those (laughs) days and I used it. I'm really proud of myself. Um, There's a band I adore called Over the Rhine and I just remember that. Oh gosh. I mean, I could do a podcast and Over the Rhine. So. Nathan could too. So we'll just kind of put that one on the side. Um, but they had had, I mean, and this is 2003, 2004. This is websites, like really reading people's like newsletters that come through email. And I just remember they had a list of 25 of their most influential albums, movies, um, and books. And I just kind of was like, Oh, I'm going to go through it. Um, so I was, it was 2003, 2004, watching um, movies recommended by Over the Rhine. And um, Life is Beautiful struck me because I knew it was set during World War II. And I've always been drawn to that those period pieces. Some of my favorite books, just I really, um, I don't want to say I love that time period. I mean, it's war and and 
especially the aspect of concentration camps. It's just, I um, just feel endlessly drawn to understanding that time period. And so this movie is about a Italian man, uh, Guido, and he and his friend, you know, they go to a city. They are going to work for Guido's uncle in this restaurant. And Guido is just kind of like this, I don't even know how to describe, like whimsical, like mm, eccentric, eccentric. <laughs> yes. Like I want to say clownish, but that makes him almost like he's smart, but like mischievous, like yeah. things just work out. Just like does these crazy things and they work out and um, major Enneagram seven energy that I mean, <laughs> like two, like with no wing, like seven with a seven wing all the way. Like he goes for it and he literally runs into this woman multiple times in crazy ways, um, which that first half of the movie is just pure delight in my book and i know the first time i watched it i was kind of like wait a minute like what is even happening because i'm expecting german concentration camp world war ii and it's like italian countryside and yeah, like, it's a light-hearted comedy having great adventures and it's like a romance it's like him trying to get you know so I remember being really off put like is this the right movie did i get the wrong one you know <laughs> um but especially in my second viewing, knowing I um, was completely into it, like just watching him pursue this woman in the most fun ways. And I'm just not going to go into all of them because literally I feel like the whole movie is like a that's so right moment, mm -hmm. like one, one right after the other through the entire movie. Um, so long story short, he, he gets the girl. And you realize in the chorus of him getting this, that he is Jewish. And so you have the backdrop of it being 1939 and along with his uncle that, you know, the Nazis are starting to take over just um, the thought of a uh, superior race, mm. the Aryans, you know, things like this are all kind of in the backdrop. And you can see he's like unfazed. He's just kind yeah. of like going about his life. Um, and so he ends up with this woman and she is clearly a um, upper class Italian woman. And you would assume not Jewish. Um, I think that just kind of you you come across with that and kind of the second half of the movie kind of starts. They show you like it's five or six years later and there's a little boy with them. Mm -hmm. And it looks like they're living the dream. You know, it's really beautiful. Like just their family. And again, this is beautiful crazy guy life is beautiful like literally i mean like i can't think of i mean you're just ready to book those tickets to italy I mean, <laughs> like i'm there i want to like ride the bike down the hill like it looks terrifying but i'm in um and so they're living their life and then you see some interactions that are kind of cool with the little boy He's probably about six years old, Joshua, and he's an he's a regular kid. He is adorable, which oh. is I think ninety percent of my yeah. like uh, adoration of this movie is that this little boy is just the cutest little boy, and his facial expressions are amazing. Well, his eyes, his uh, his little oh. big eyes are so cute, Gosh, and they so do such cute. a good they do such a good job making him look like as vulnerable as possible. Even like the first outfit they put him in in this film is the most babyish, 
kind of <laughs> itty bitty little romper this you know this child is wearing and it just really it puts him in such a vulnerable cutesy adorable yes. facet of your brain right off the bat yeah. yeah agreed and he is cute and they're planning his birthday party and that is when uh guido and his uncle alicio um and joshua this little boy are taken um, to be taken to the concentration camp. And you see kind of a sequence where um, his wife finds out about it. And of course she was not taken, not being Jewish, but she ends up going. Mm -hmm. And then kind of begins the, the main plot of the movie, which involves uh, Guido and his son and how he makes it all appear as a game and talks to his son like, oh, this is all a plan for your birthday day and just kind of is like riffing as he goes and just again having these crazy adventures um in this concentration camp and you just get this wild tension of it being comedic right. and just this awful awful place and i mean tears just come like every other scene, like you're kind of laughing, and you're, you know, it's just, for me, it's just the, um, the depth of all human emotion is just mm -hmm. kind of what it captures for me. Just yeah, the heights of the, like, I, again, I think I'm, it, I just can't imagine um, the worst situation to be in literally mm -hmm. than right. concentration camp with my child. Um, but then at the same time, like some of these pranks and things that happen are so delightful. I mean, that sounds so terrible. You know, you say it and you're like, but you can't come up with anything because you're just like, that is just, that is beautiful. Um, and for me, the fairy tale element of it, mm -hmm. I think that's where um, and you guys, please feel free to interject, like some of the trivia, like some of the pushback came, like it was a very famous. Right. Yeah. It won a bunch of Oscars. He won for best yeah, actor, best director. Oscars and tons yeah. of other awards. Mm -hmm. But Mel Brooks was one of um, the most famous detractors from the movie because he felt like it um, trivialized the concentration camps. And he felt like when he made movies, he directly criticized Nazis and never made light. So absolutely, I respect his opinion, especially as a Jewish mm -hmm. man. Mm -hmm. um, but this movie, in my mind, I saw it more from the fairy tale aspect. Yeah. It just yeah. that it was fantastical, that this could not have happened. I get oh, it. Yeah. Like, the things that he gets away with, like clearly... It's not like anyone could have done that, but in using that backdrop of really in everybody's mind in our century, the mm -hmm. most horrible place to bring out that much hope and delight. I just kind of keep using that word because he is yeah. such a light. Yeah. So he's, he's, he's a very famous comedian right. in Italy. Like that is what he is known for is his comedy. And so when he decided to do this movie, something that was on his heart for a while, people were like, should you? <laughs> um, this and you're like, yeah, 
Mel and Mel Brooks did speak out about out, about the movie, but um, there are Holocaust survivors who liked the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we should just caution listeners to say that the movie, while it has comedic elements, does not make light of the Holocaust. Right. Um, so that's just something to keep in mind as we're having this discussion and we're talking about the more lighthearted moments is we're not making light of the Holocaust. It was an atrocity. And we we all know that. And Roberto Benigni knows that. And everybody that's involved in the movie know that. And even like um, there are Holocaust survivors who said that if you watch this movie as a comedy, you're watching it wrong. It's a tragedy. Exactly. Exactly. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so just, yeah, just everybody keep that in mind as the discussion progresses, because there are definitely parts that make you laugh out loud in this movie right. about the Holocaust, which is a weird feeling to have. But right. as you said, it runs the emotional gamut, right? Mm. But we yeah. don't want to get too much into themes <laughs> yeah. before we talk about all of those other things. We don't want to break the podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we can't be responsible for that. <laughs> what did you guys think? You go ahead and give me, because I feel like I will definitely launch into theme well, if you don't hold me back. Why don't we talk about what we found was so right so with this right. movie? So I guess on that note, take us away, Andrew Nelson. That's so right. It's just so right. It's just so right. That's just so right. Just so right. All right. Vera, do you wanna do you wanna start us off and then we can kind of circle back around and come back um, to, to Jess? Sure. So I'm gonna go with so it was a, a funny scene earlier in the movie where like it just it kind of sets the tone for the politics of the movie, the comedy and how serious things are. And it's when he first goes to the um, like the clothiers, um, the guy whose hat he keeps stealing. And <laughs> he's um, and the guy's just like, oh, I'm having a really rough week. It's so hard. These times are so hard. And uh, Guido is, oh, um, what uh, what are your political views? Like thinking that, oh, maybe it's because he's, you know, not a supporter of the Nazi regime. And uh, his boys are fighting in the background. And the clothier is just like, Adolfo, Benini. Oh, snap. (laughs) And so it tells you exactly what his political views are, exactly what the climate is. Guido kind of just makes a, oh okay and like doesn't say anything yeah. else about it after that right and steers the topic away and so you kind of get where he stands with it so it's a funny shocking setup but it gives you a lot of information and i just think that like it made me laugh out loud because it was so unexpected and so yeah that's right and yeah. i think it, the movie is just so witty in that way like it really bounces across just thing after thing after beat after beat it's so quick I think, Jess, I think I told you we were going to start with you on that first. Oh, that's right. Stuff. That's right. So well, why don't you go ahead? Um, like I said, I this was the hardest part of this whole thing because literally I had like 10. And then I feel like I narrowed it down to about five. Um, but I think the um, the scene that is my top favorite. It's funny. I'm sitting here and I'm like, is it? Is it this? But I, I'm going to stick with when they first arrive um, in the concentration camp and they go into their bunkhouse and a German guard comes in 
and immediately in German is like, who does anyone here speak German? I need a translator. And Guido totally, totally volunteers, does not speak any German, of course. Spoiler alert. He has no idea what (laughs) the guy's saying. It is just amazing as this, like, you know, just mean German guard. And, like, um, my children actually go to a German language school. And it's long story. But anyway... (laughs) them I feel like just in general (laughs) hearing people yell in German is literally the most terrifying thing to me like it just sounds even more scary and so I just feel like it hits all those where I'm just like this is a terrifying situation and he's telling them and the translation in German is like you know basically like you do this, you're here to work, you don't question, you know, and he's pointing at things. And at one point he points to his back and he's like, if you talk back, you'll be shot in the back. The executions happen. Like, it's just awful stuff. He's pointing. And then Guido translates it to keep up with telling his son that this is a contest. He's like, whoever has like the lowest points at the end of the day is going to have to wear a sign that says jackass <laughs> on their back. And the little boy is like, expression. Is that a bad word? Yeah. It's so uh-huh. awesome. And he just kind of keeps making things up. He kind of looks at the guy and like follows and he says it with the same tone. And you can tell the guards looking at him like, are you really getting all this? And he's like, and he's, you know, saying like the guards talking about a whistle and he's like no lollipops like i only <laughs> you won't get any <laughs> yeah you won't get it and the little boy is just like oh my gosh like don't ask for snacks you know and so that scene in particular i just think his want to like just again you see everything in him and as a parent i feel that like what do I have to do in this second to keep my kid okay and keep mm-hmm. him safe? Mm-hmm. And you just see this. And I love it because I watched the scene again just before doing this, just to kind of refresh. And the very last scene, like he literally walks away from the guard, like wiping his brow. Yeah. You never get this feeling that he's enjoying himself by any no. means. It is literally. I heard the best description from Roger Ebert in um, a review. He said, this man's really, his only talent was humor and he used it. Like that was his gift. And so Mm. you just see, he's like, this is, I'm not big. I'm not strong. Like I'm not going to overtake anyone. Like this is what I've got. And this is what I'm going to use to get through. Yeah. It's almost like, it's also, it feels in that scene, you also kind of feel like it's just Guido's coping mechanism. Like what else are we supposed to do right now? You know, it's not about, it's not about joking about the Holocaust. It's about surviving it, you know, and how else do you survive something like that? I just set up a great segue for myself to talk about what I like. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, So my, so right. I, I'm going to, I don't know if this is breaking. I'm, we might, I might break the podcast by doing this, but we're in charge no. tonight. So I think it's allowed. <laughs> I think, I think for this instance, it will be allowed. And so this is technically not a scene from the movie, but it is this movie adjacent. And I think if you've, if either of you have seen this, you will instantly know what I'm talking about. One of my favorite things knowing this film 
as it's been um, talked about already by by us, is that um, Roberto Benigni was a comedian. Like this is what he did outside of this film. And if you want to see how much of the character of Guido truly just comes from who he is as a person, you have to, have to, have to find when Roberto Benigni wins an award for this film in best foreign language category. That was my only context for this movie before watching it this time. I hadn't seen it, but I knew about the Oscars. <laughs> it, it is truly one of the most otherworldly, delightful moments. You'll Again, there's that word, Jess. Mm -hmm. Like, how is this happening? Because he stands up out of his seat in this theater. You know, the, it's the Oscars. You know, this is the most pretentious movie award ceremony that could possibly be and he literally jumps and climbs over the seats of everybody else in this theater towards none other than you know italian goddess sophia loren which makes the moment <laughs> even that much more special and hops and skips up the steps to accept this award and they embrace so authentically genuinely enthused and even Sophia when she announces it's him she waves the ticket around she's so excited oh, that, that this is the film so yeah. I think again I'm breaking the podcast over here guys I'm talking about <laughs> something that wasn't a movie. but if you want a taste of again just some of the manic energy that is stored in this film and also kind of the heart behind the man that created this movie yeah. that element just makes everything else about the movie feel so much more right to me yeah when he so. wins the second award did you see him win the second award he goes think, up and he's i know like, he won two he won three i think the movie won three he won two but then he, he goes up he's like i used up all my english in my first speech <laughs> <laughs> awesome uh, it's just so cute oh, he's such an adorable off. human yeah, he is Ugh. genuine. He is genuine and like unabashedly shares his joy in everything that he does. Um, and you can see that in his Oscar win. You can see that in the movie. You can see it in some of his other films. Like he is, he just resonates comedic talent and he resonates the, the need and desire and ability to make people smile. Yeah. In any yeah. situation, whether it's Pinocchio or mm like La Vita Bella in the Holocaust. Like he, mm. he just wants people. He wants to tell a story. He wants people to smile regardless of what that story is. Mm. And I loved that he was inspired to write this by a true Holocaust survivor that, mm. um, book it, this guy wrote a book um in the end i beat hitler which now i want to go and check mm. that out and it was an italian jewish man and he, i saw one little quote by this guy and he was like um i survived auschwitz i um celebrated my 50th wedding anniversary had 12 great grandchildren and i would say i beat hitler you know and i'm just yeah. Absolutely. And supposedly the book is just kind of mm. full of stuff like that. And that's yeah. where he drawn some of his inspiration, as well as Vera was telling me, you know, say his last name again. I'm so terrible. <laughs> Roberto Benini. Benini. His father was in the Italian guard and had two years in an Italian 
concentration camp and he would speak to his kids about it in a more humorous way. And mm. he felt very inspired by these people that survived these things and chose to kind of, I don't know, again, I feel like I'm drawn to anyone who fights back mm. with yeah. humor or, you know, something off-putting like that, you know, mm-hmm. versus, mm-hmm. Yeah, Yeah. that is so right. (laughs) That is, that is. um, There is one more thing that I want to bring up and that's so right. And it's um, the setup and payoff through the movie. Mm. It is so well crafted. And there are so many Mm. setups in the part of the movie that pay off later on. Like um, when um, Guido first comes to the town and two times you see the woman who throws a key down to her husband. (laughs) Maria! Yeah. And then when he goes, um, when uh, after the opera, he's with Dora, the woman who becomes his wife, and uh, they're standing under the window, and he, you know, he he pretends to pray to Mother Mary, and uh, and, and then he shouts out Maria, and he gets the key, right? And yeah. so they've set that up two times before, and then boom, he gets this key, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there was what was the other one? The hat where he's yes. <laughs> he's like, uh, oh, my hat is wet. I need a new hat. And then like the clothier guy comes, he steals his hat again. Yeah, something that he's done like two times already in the movie. Um, let's see the the seven seconds riddle. Oh, pays off with the doctor. Yep, yep. Um, later on, the doctor that he like when he's in the restaurant and you see that they have a relationship, he comes all the time. You know, he had a riddle, he solved it, he gave him a riddle, he solved it, right? They have that back and forth. That pays off later at the concentration camp. Um, Dora getting the hiccups when she's like upset or nervous. Yeah. And then that pays off again later with Joshua. The boy not wanting to shower, waiting hours, that pays off. Like there is so much, it's so well crafted and there Mm -hmm. it follows through with everything that it sets up. And that is so well done. that I love was that this little boy loves tanks Yeah, through the whole like game. They're trying to get a thousand points because his dad said he's going to get a real tank. And the, one of the final scenes of the movie is that, you know, the Americans have rolled in to the concentration camp and who comes up to this little boy, but a soldier in a tank. And he's like, come on up. And Josh was like, it's true. Like, <laughs> oh, I won. And I'm just like, oh my gosh. Like you said, like everything set up pays off so beautifully. Mm-hmm. Like so beautifully mm-hmm. because La Vita Bella. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So before we go into themes, I think we can, we can, uh, we can conclude that's so right over here. That's just so. Should we do a that ain't right? Since we're talking about a movie that has some pretty like mm. heavy stuff in There's it. There's definitely some ain't. stuff that ain't right in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> uh. Like my that's so right could also have been yeah. a that ain't right. Like you should not name your kids Adolfo and uh <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> that ain't right. <laughs> definitely. <laughs> Sure as hell ain't right. 
What what comes to your mind, Vera? What's your favorite for? When Guido is in the concentration camp and he um, he manages to sneak his son into dinner with the mm. um, like the officers have their families visiting and he sneaks his son into the dinner. Right. Um, and he manages to um, fool everybody that this is a little German boy and he tricks everybody. And the boy gets something to eat, like a, a full stomach, finally. Mm-hmm. And as they're leaving, mm-hmm. he's carrying him out. And it's just fog and like content warning because it's it's awful. But there's just this fog and he's walking and he doesn't really know the direction in which he's going. And he just comes upon a pile of bodies. Like a, a massive, mountain, massive mountain pile, of bodies. A yeah. mountain of bodies. And he just looks at it and he's like, I have to get us out of here. Mm-hmm. Like you can just see it in his face. He's like, we cannot stay here or that will be us. Mm-hmm. And it's just heartbreaking and so sad because he's fighting so hard to keep himself and his son alive. Mm-hmm. It's like one of the only moments when you kind of see Guido not break, but, but it is falter. Of, yeah. Like yeah. what I am doing is not sustainable. Yeah. Like yeah. we could die. Um, yeah. And I, I just want to hop on that really quick. Um, Jess, you had talked about how this movie feels so much like a fairy tale. And I actually felt that they did that moment so well because it's quite obviously a painting. I don't even think they tried to make that moment look realistic. And I think that was a really wise choice because, you know, it's such a grotesque moment and they do portray it quite grotesquely, but they use what is very, very apparently um, just an enormous, almost mural looking oil painting to depict what he's looking at, um, which I think really feeds into what Jess was saying about this truly being a fairy tale. And in that moment, sort of this, um, probably almost a feeling of disassociation that Guido must have had of saying like, how is this real? How yeah. can this be real? You know, it, it, I, it, it couldn't look real in that way. Anyhow, that was, that was a thought that I had had. So Jess, what were you wanted to say? No, that is good because what I think I so appreciate about this film is that they managed to add enough of the real elements of the horror. Mm-hmm. It's still like, you know, it was amazing. Like, I don't know how people do this, but I feel like without those moments, it would just be ridiculous. Like it would mm-hmm. almost be worthless without some of those darker. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, because uh, in that same, I feel like it was in uh, about the same scene that you mentioned, Vera, what absolutely my, that ain't mm-hmm. right. That just, broke my heart was when he meets up with that doctor again. Oh, yeah. And he is figuring that his doctor, who was his friend, was is going to help him and Joshua get out. Yeah. And he's like, I need to speak with you. And he's like, okay, he's going to help me. And it like looks kind of clandestine and they're like whispering. And here this doctor. Because the, the, the um, Jews aren't allowed to speak to the, the Germans. That's why they have to do it like secretly. Yeah. Okay. Yep. And the, the doctor just has another riddle for him Mm -hmm. and watch like when you're saying um, with that mountain of ice, like same thing, like you see Guido really being like, Oh my, like I'm back. He's devastated. Yeah. Mm. Completely. And what just pure, like me through the heart is like, I had been long enough since I had seen it. I mean, I knew that they don't get out, but I, 
I didn't remember. And when the doctor's going on and you can see he's kind of losing it himself, like obviously he's got what he is doing to people is in his mind because he doesn't seem well. And he's like, I can't sleep. Like I've got to figure Mm. out this, like, you don't understand, you have to help me. So it's this total weird reversal that he's talking to the guy who's the prisoner. Help me. I can't do this. I need you. And you can see just this, just this bizarre exchange happening and just the gravity of the situation of Mm -hmm. like, he thought he was getting somewhere. And here he is like, again, with um, no one really to help him. That moment almost felt that moment almost felt sort of like a robbing of Guido's innocence because he's such a hopeful character. And in that moment, it's, it's you, him, it's you, you see him. I think Guido is mistreated. You know, a lot, you know, everybody's mistreated in this movie in a lot of ways by people that they don't know. But I think this is the first time Guido is full on, um, I, in some sense, betrayed by somebody that he kind of had every right to think might have helped him. Yeah. And you really see that in his features when this doctor is so oblivious yes. to the situation that he's creating. Um, and you sort of see a certain tear of hope, hopefulness sort of vanish from Guido's expression. And it's a really, that's a really heartbreaking moment. Yeah. What about you, Asia? For that ain't right, man, those, the two elements that you guys just brought up, I think are probably the most, the most, not right elements that I could think of, but I think it's very subtle, but I kept thinking about it the last time, you know, during my viewing for this episode, there's a scene where the child comes to Guido and says to him in the concentration camp, they want us to take a shower. And Guido says, well, you need to go take showers. You know, you have to. And the kid's like, no, no, no. And this is an excellent, you know, sort of culmination of some foreshadowing that had already taken place in the movie, that this kid was not going to take a shower. and He was very um, stubborn about it, which, as one might guess, you know, given this context, saved his life. But it really kind of goes largely unstated in the film that after that point, Joshua is the only child left in the entire camp aside from the German children that he's able to kind of secretly play with one time. But that means that Joshua is alone Mm, the entire rest of their stay there and has to confine himself to the bunks all day long so that they don't find him. Again, it's very subtle and it's a knowing, you know, it's meant to build dread in the audience during that moment of, Oh, they want us to take a shower and you're seeing Guido insist to him that you need to go take a shower because Guido's yeah, innocent. And you're just like, no. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so the stress and just that whole, the moment and then the sort of undergirding tension of realizing that Joshua is alone here. Mm. The only child left in the camp. Um, yeah. So that, that to me was a very kind of difficult um, knowledge to wrestle with, and it hit me in a really different way this time viewing the movie. Yeah, yeah, it's a little sad. Mm. All right, but I, go ahead. None of those are right. <laughs> <laughs> that sure as hell ain't right. Um, I think one question that I kind of wanted to put forward because this is this is something that I think just really killed me this time watching it, and I wanted to. I wanted to to sort of just 
plop it down in here and then we can kick it around. And if anybody has anything else that, you know, they can, you know, add their own questions or views or, or whatever as we, as we kick this around. Um, so I guess it's kind of a two-part question. But Dora, mm. Dora didn't have to go to this camp, but she insisted, I am getting on this train and I am following my husband and my child to God knows where because I love them, you know? And I think I wanted to ask you too, because I am sort of the token childless member of this circle <laughs> right here. Um, I wanted to kind of ask from sort of a mother's perspective, following them, it's not like there's any way she could have practically helped them by going with them. So I just wanted to like, I wanted to ask if we could just talk about the heart behind that moment, because even though Guido is such, so much the hero of this story, I, it just crushes me in a really hopeful way, if that makes any sense, that Dora was willing to do that. And so I just, I wanted to just drop that soccer ball in here to kick around for a second. I think that we have hindsight as people who are viewing um, the Holocaust as history. Mm. We know that she is not going to be able to support her family in that situation because mm. we know that they separated the men and women, right? We know that they took the children and the el elderly to the showers. Like we know those things in hindsight, mm. but at the time, Dora did not know that. She asked the guard, she was like, you've made a mistake. This is my family. I am Italian. Like Guido, he's, he's Italian. And he's like, nope. I've got all three of their names. They're on my list. It is not a mistake. She's like, then I'm going to go be with my family. Mm. Right. And that's what she thought she was doing. Right. And at the time, I think that's a totally reasonable, rational decision as, right. a, as a parent that people would make because she's like, well, I, I can't be left here with my family taken away. So I'm going to go with them and I'm going to be with them. Not knowing as we know that she would be separated from them. Mm, yeah, the assumption of withness was was there. Yeah, yeah, that is true. I also wonder. Um, I have to say, I'm a little confused in the bookshop before they're taken away when her mother mm. comes back in, and I believe it was the first time she had met Joshua. Yes, which you know indicates that you know after the dramatic exit from her engagement, engagement party, party. Yeah. you know, with Guido that she has completely, and again, I'm assuming she is upper class. Like I really got that oh, yeah. feeling, you know, um, that she, that they're all that she has, you know, um, and not so much in like, I'll go with them because they're all they have. But I also wonder, and this might be me really reading into it, like, you know, because her mom wants to give her this note that she gives to Joshua, right? Isn't there a letter or something? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't quite understand what was happening there, whether she was an ally with them or if she was against them. But my one thought was that, you know, she chose Guido in that moment when she mm -hmm. was at her engagement party. And to me, it felt like another time where she's like, I am choosing love. Like I am going mm -hmm. for the person that makes me alive versus, you know, whatever safety or comfort I could have in this other life, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, and then at the same time, I have to say, I, I mean, I believe 
for 99% of parents. Um, and I can only speak as a mother, <laughs> not being a man, but there is something instinctual, like literally a brain choice of I'll go and try. I don't even know how that works. I just mm. think there's, I can't even imagine another choice mm. beyond you go to where your kid is mm. like in need, you know, and yeah. they knew enough going in that it was not good. You know, they right. give us these glimpses of how the Jews were being treated. So her guess that they were going to possibly be killed was probably pretty high. And I'm, I can't imagine that that wasn't, you know, as much a part of her decision. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that the question that sort of bubbles up from that for me then sort of just kind of expanding it out to, to its broader context because again, her choice to do that is just so, is, is so just stunning to me. Mm. Um, and it just kind of, I guess, getting kind of like personal with my own life this particular year. I've, this year has had a lot of very unexpected challenges for me that have sort of revealed to myself that I am not a strong person. Like I do not do well under the, the burden of um, pain, like physical pain. Um, and I've kind of shocked myself to what levels of, of hopelessness I can sink to uh, really easily. And so her, again, her decision to do that, kind of my, my brain having sort of been riding this very unexpected sort of health journey this year, knowing, you know, when you don't know what pain feels like, it's almost a little bit easier to, to walk yourself into a situation that you don't understand how painful it's going to be. But it, it just convicted me in a way that I barely even understand how to articulate. And it just, it makes me sort of really struggle with this notion of, are we willing to in the middle of our own suffering, because surely, you know, she is suffering herself in that moment, you know, at the separation of her husband and her child and everything about their lives are about to change. So in the middle of an already apparent suffering, are we willing to board the train of other people's pain? You know, of this is where somebody I love is hurting and I'm going to choose to board this train alongside them and in doing so potentially suffer along with them. And that notion is so, I didn't realize how terrifying that notion was to me until this year. Um, but I've also never been so confronted with the Christ likeness of that notion until I realized how much it hurt. Mm. Um, so I think that that probably is one of the biggest themes that this movie has been, um, Wow, emotion, gross. Uh, um, <laughs> that this movie has really been, um, that's what it stirred up in me the most, this viewing. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I mean, understandable. I think that's why I love this movie because I also feel like I am not necessarily drawn to doing the noble thing. Mm. You know? And I feel like as I collect these stories, they bring me such strength and I feel like I kind of had forgotten about this movie and someone had 
put some clips of it probably on Facebook, like during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And, you know, just in light of, um, gosh, I don't even remember, but like what I took from it was just kind of like, so we're walking through this thing with our kids, for me, with our kids that we don't really know what it is, especially in the early days when it was like, things are starting to shut down, like you're not Mm -hmm. going to school. Um, You can't, we can't hang out with people like, and, you know, you yourself, you're processing this, you're like, what is going on? Like, is this, you know, the end of (laughs) life as we know it? And you're trying to walk your kids through it, be honest about it, but also not not freak them out, not give them more than they can handle. And this movie just kind of came to mind, like, because like you're saying, Vera, like we have hindsight, like he's Mm -hmm. getting on a strain. He doesn't really know, you know, there's probably, there's rumors and things like that, but it Mm -hmm. is real time figuring out and, you know, Renee Brown, I mean, we're all for the most part, just trying to do the best that we can and believing that other people are also trying to do the best that they can. I don't know. I just, again, I feel like I'm drawn to this film for that reason, Asia, Mm -hmm. like you, I'm like, Oh, I just feel like I would just, I would make my kids worse. Cause I would be like, You know, and like they would be the ones trying to protect me because I wouldn't be able to hold myself together, you know. And so I just feel so much inspiration in seeing. um, Yeah, like, yeah, what you're what you're saying. um, So obviously not comparing the pandemic to the Holocaust, but (laughs) it is. the Yeah, not. Um, And I I know that you're not. um, But um, it's this is the major life-changing event that we are all going through um and so we can all understand how difficult it was especially at the beginning as you said um and it was hard and my kids are are little right they're um almost seven and under and i have three of them so they're little and so to explain to them what is happening in the world what they are going through without having them lose hope, like without giving them a sense of hopelessness, without scaring them, but also having them, you know, be protected and be safe and understand that there are new rules in play that they need to follow was, was very challenging. And as a parent, there's that you have to weigh everything that you say to them to help them to understand. Now, that's not to say that the whole pandemic has just been despair. And I think that this movie is a great example. Now, again, the real Holocaust did not have this stuff in it. This is Mm -hmm. a fairy tale version of a person's experience during that time. But the movie does a really great, it, it does really well at showing us ways that Guido shows Dora that she mm-hmm. is loved that yeah. they are safe mm-hmm. right there are ways that he finds to pass along that message and that gives us a couple of light-hearted happy just she gets these tinges these little happy mm-hmm. moments as fleeting as they might be but to her are probably so valuable mm-hmm. in that pain that she voluntarily voluntarily put herself through in order to be with her family that she's not allowed to be with anymore 
she gets these little, little blips of hope, mm-hmm. right? And, and that's what she can hold on to as she's going through this hardship, yeah. right? And I'm sure all of us can relate to that, whether it's you, Asia, with your struggles this year or us with our children in the pandemic, like even through those really difficult times, there are little blips of moments that let us know that we are loved, that let us know that there's still hope in the world, that good things can still happen. And those are the things that we hold on to, right? Right, right. Yeah. yeah. There's one little story I wanted to tell you guys about um, that in watching this movie again and just doing all this, thinking about it, there was a This American Life um, story I had heard years ago, and I looked it back up, um, where a girl's school in China during mm-hmm. World War II um, after uh, the bombing of Pearl Harbor, Japan invaded um, China in certain cities and put uh, American, British, European people in their own kind of concentration camps. Not to the level of, you know, trying to exterminate them in showers, but people were dying of starvation, dying of disease. And there was this girl's school that was put in concentration, like, Hundred, I think it's like 150 girls with a couple of teachers who were like in their 20s. Mm-hmm. And um, they were part of Girl Guides, which is like Girl Scouts. Mm-hmm. Um, and we so have Girl Guides in Canada. Yes. <laughs> they're saying they're like everywhere else in the world, it's Girl Guides. Only in the US is a Girl Scout. It's always got to be different. Oh, and it's now seriously, the Fahrenheit. I mean, come on. It's <laughs> Um, but this story, so they have this log book of this, you know, leader of Girl Guides writing about, because they were like, well, we're going to just, we're doing Girl Guides in this concentration camp. So this literally happened. And this um, interviewer, I want to post this somewhere. I'll put it in like the Facebook group or something. It is 20 minutes long. It is amazing. This 82 year old woman still alive. She talks about she and she says, I lived a miracle. Like I had grown ups who helped preserve my childhood because mm-hmm. she said it was terrifying. She's like, don't get me wrong, kind of like the fairy tale thing. She's like, I saw death. Like there was mm-hmm. a lot going on. She's like, these teachers, like they're, she's like talking about eating slop that like you would give to a pig. Like that was their food. Like it was disgusting. Mm-hmm. She said, these leaders were like elbows off the table, sit up straight, like same manners here as at Buckingham palace. Mm-hmm. And she's talking about like all she thought about as a 12 year old in this concentration camp was earning merit badges because mm-hmm. these, you know, teachers were able to rally enough to be able to do that for these kids, you know? So like the bright moments, like here's this woman, like it completely changed her life. And so the idea of being able to, I mean, on a much smaller level, I feel like it makes me just resolve to create those bright moments Mm. for people in Mm -hmm. the smallest way, even if it means just smiling and talking to the person in the drive-through window. You know, I mean, Mm. really just, I don't know. That's again, some of the themes I get are these small graces and having it blown up in such a um, 
fantastical way of like the Holocaust, mm-hmm. but like you bring that down into just how your attitude and how you treat right. people just. Right. Yeah. And it goes back to like what um, Roberto Bonini's inspiration through his father and his father's experience in being a prisoner of war and how he dealt with it through comedy, right? He dealt with it by making it comedic, by finding lighthearted ways to tell a really hard experience. And so I'll tell a little bit of of my story that I shared with you guys via um, our text chain was, so you have that, you have Luigi... Benini's experience. Um, he was taken as a prisoner of war. So in 19, everybody knows Italy was one of the Axis forces. And then in um, 1943, signed an armistice agreement with the Allied forces, um, surrendering and, and severing their ties in the war. And from that point on, Germany considered Italy to be traitors. And so they issued a decree saying that um, Italian uh, soldiers, anybody that was serving in the Italian armed forces had to either join the German forces or they would be taken prisoner or executed or, or whatever was the case. Um, and so many, many, most of the Italian forces said no, and they didn't join Germany. And so they were then taken prisoner, Italian citizens. So not just Jewish Italians like Guido, but Italian citizens. Um, were then taken prisoners. So like Luigi Benini and my um, great-grandfather, Secondo, was also taken to a camp. Now, in contrast to to Luigi, my uh, bisnono did not know, he did not handle his treatment well afterwards. Mm. And that's understandable given the severity of it because Italian military internees were the Germans labeled them differently than prisoners of war so that they didn't have to treat them like prisoners of war so that they could treat them worse than prisoners of war. And so um, when um, Bisnono Secondo came out of the camp um, at the end of the war, he, so my my nona, uh, her father said, he went in a handsome man and he came out an old man. So he went in with black hair and he came out with shock white hair mm. and he had aged so much. And it was only from 1943 to 45, like two mm. years. And he had changed and he never spoke about his experience. We don't even know which camp he was in. We think it was um, Trieste because of just the region um, where mm. my family lived. It's like the Friulani in the north part of Italy. And that was the closest camp to there. So we think it might have been that one, but we don't know because he never talked about it. Mm-hmm. And that affected him, his health, his family, because he had lost all hope. He mm-hmm. could not find those little moments anymore of hope yeah. because yeah. of what he had gone through. Yeah. yeah. My dad, ever since we were young, has had this saying that he said to me and that that is in order for a human to survive emotionally survive you need three things you need something to do you need someone to love and you need something to look forward to and something to look forward to is the most important of the three because even if you don't have the two at any you know the first two at any given moment there's always the hope for something better there is always yeah. the hope of more. And it's when you strip somebody of the hope 
that the other two tend to feel meaningless, even if they aren't. Um, And I think that idea gets, it's so embodied in the archetype that is Guido, you know, the something to do. He is constantly diligent Mm. to love his family. You know, I don't even really think we see that Guido is, you know, you, so you, you said it earlier, he's not necessarily great at anything other than making people feel happy and loved. That is what he excels at. That is his something to do. Yeah. Obviously, he absolutely adores his wife and his child. You know, they're his everything. They are his people to love and he loves them like nobody's ever loved anything. Yeah. And something to look forward to even if it's just manufactured, I am looking forward to my son coming out of this unscathed, maybe seeing my wife again. I'm looking forward to when I can come up with a scheme to make my wife, to let my wife know that I'm still alive. He makes his own hope. Right. Right. (sighs) I know. So heavy. (laughs) Yeah. No, it's so good. I mean, it's funny, you know, when we always first time on this podcast, it's like, what's your biggest fear? Mm. I always say like, mine is being trapped on a physical level, but much more of the existential level. Like Mm. in that, I think you nailed like the hopelessness, like the idea of being somewhere you cannot get out Mm -hmm. uh, is definitely the largest and then, and then believing that you will never get out of there. Right. Exactly. Even if yeah, yeah, that is terrifying, not, but the, um, the belief that there's, you know, this is it. This is or the, it. And the, yeah. Like you just, this is it. The belief that there's nowhere to get out to like yeah. the belief that there is nothing beyond the cage. Right. Yeah. Ugh. And, but I think with this story, I, there is a reason why this movie is called life is beautiful Mm. not life was beautiful during the first 30 minutes of this movie not life could be beautiful again once this movie concludes after the credits roll the movie is called life is beautiful you know when they're going through it you know when guido is carrying the anvil life is beautiful it's it's something that we as christians i mean i struggle with it all the Mm. time but it's something that we as Christians, like, um, what's that song? I'm trading my sorrows. Do you guys know that song? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. So like <laughs> in, in the Valley, when things are good, right. I praise, I praise God in the desert. When things are going poorly, I still praise God. Mm-hmm. Right. Because God is always good. Yes. No matter what is happening. He, and like, even in the worst, the worst, 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 situations that you could possibly be in if you can find hope right you can you can find beauty Mm. Mm -hmm. and create it you know if there if there is hope i think that's one of the most amazing things you know about humans is that the ability to to like we said earlier manufacture not only to create that hope but to create that beauty and then that beauty you know, just like Guido taking the gramophone and sticking it out the window for Dora to hear their song <laughs> that they yes, heard yes. at the opera. You know, this is the pits. They're, they're in the absolute pits. And yet somehow opera echoes out over the camp because Guido refuses 
to let there not be music where there could be music. Yes. Yeah. There's this great quote that Benini had um, just in talking about it, kind of just politely talking about some of the, the criticism. He had said to laugh and to cry comes from the same point of the soul. And he said, the crux of the matter is to reach beauty, poetry. It doesn't matter if that is comedy or tragedy. They're the same if you reach beauty. Mm. Mm. Wow, that speaks to my Enneagram 4 heart. That's delicious. When I heard that, again, I, I get these wisps of things I've read like 20 years ago. And thank God for Google. I kind of find it. But an excellent book. Um by Frederick Buechner, Buechner, telling the truth, the gospel is tragedy, comedy, and fairy tale. And Ooh. he has, it's a great book and I could not retell it in any way. I'll just kind of say it's something that you would all enjoy. Just trust mm. me. And he has this one quote that really sin and grace, absence and presence, tragedy and comedy, they divide the world between them and where they meet head on the gospel happens. And that for me um, is what you were saying, Vera, like right at that point where your deepest sadness meets the greatest joy is just, that's, that's everything. Yeah. And it can keep you going. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, does anyone else have anything that they want to add? <laughs> yeah, that just, before we that, all burst into tears. That ties it. Yeah, <laughs> there. I feel like that right there just ties everything just beautifully. All right, then we can pivot into the fog meter, which is the measurement that we use on the podcast to um, see how we felt about the movie. And I was given the responsibility of doing math. Oh, thank you. Terrible idea. <laughs> Um, and we'll see if I break the podcast now. But <laughs> I already <laughs> broke it, Vera. It's not your fault. Yeah. Oh, good, good. It's already broken. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Um, just dragging it behind the car now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so um, usually we do faith and fear, but because this is what saves us, we will do the fun of God instead of fear. So let's start with you, Jess. What do you give this movie on the funnel meter? The funimator. Oh man, I have to give it a 10. Um, I know I just, I kind of say that, but like literally I just, because it, to me, it's, it's the purest form of comedy and delight. Like it just, I don't know. It's, it's so pure. I love it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Asia, what about you? You have to justify it, but no need. <laughs> don't have to. No, <laughs> not at all. Feeling. I, I, you know, I agree. I, I belly laugh. I always forget how funny this movie is because, you know, it it ends on a pretty serious note. So if it's several months between viewings, I'm always just like, wow, am I like, am I ready for this movie again? And then during the first like 30, 35 minutes, I'm just guffawing the entire time because it is just pure delight. So yes, it, the, even to the dark places it goes, the comedy is just ah, chef's kiss. So <laughs> yes, 10 for fun. <laughs> yeah. And I'm right there with both of you. I'm giving it a 10 on the fun. Um, 
I love me my uh, Italian movies that are like I did Luca. You're doing oh. <laughs> La Vita Bella. Um, I love that. Um, it reminded me of um, my nonna who I lost in June. She passed away. Um, mm-hmm. Like her nickname for me was um, Principessa and oh. Princess. And so um, like just the fact that that was in the movie and came up so often and it was just like such a sweet thing. And then just brought back so many good memories to me and just the way that I relate to through my family and my family's experience and history um, with um, war when they were back home in Italy. And like, there's just so much there that um, I loved and made me laugh and made me cry. And it was just Bella. So mm-hmm. yes, 10 for me on the fun. And then I'll go me and then I'll go circle back to Jess, I'll go backwards on the gone meter. I am going to give it a, I feel like 10. I'm doing it. I'm doing it. It's It's just honestly, like it's, it's so well-crafted. It, it is very intentional. It's Mm. paying homage to, um, uh, a story that, that needs to be told in a way that is different than what has been done before. Um, and I think it's very intentional about what it wants to say. And that is, the title of the movie and so i'm giving it a 10. Mm-hmm. Aisha, what about you man i feel like i feel like in this realm i think i'm gonna give it a nine and i'm honestly not 100 percent sure why i don't know where the one point comes from like the you know the <laughs> one point deduction comes from but i just i don't know it just feels nine to me and naming I think, your kids after dictators. That's you know, <laughs> one point off for that. I mean, yeah, it's just who why. But um, I hang on, let me let me just logic this out for a second. I'm sorry, guys. Got a stream of consciousness my way through this. <laughs> I think really just looking at I guess the image that keeps coming back into my head whenever I have to think about like the God element of this story is the way that Guido, spoiler alert, you know, it's one of those shows. Yeah. Um the, the Guido does not make it out of the camp alive. Um, that even the way he ends up on, you know, being killed in the camp seconds later is by making, you know, because he was making his child laugh, you know, he, he's not going to go out. He knows, he, he knows he's about to die. He knows it. Yeah. Um, and he is still insisting on making his child laugh. Mm. And I just, the, I don't, you know what? <sighs> I'm still going to stick. I'm still going to stick with a nine. Cause that's what feels right in my soul right now. But Guido, gosh, dang it is like, yeah. it's such a, like a Christ image archetype in this film, you know, yeah. just like being in just the deepest pits of hell, you know, for his family, bringing them out of their deepest pits of hell, you know, by his willingness to just put himself in harm's way for them. So I am going to stick with a nine and, Wow, that was a really long way to get there. I already put it in the my coming to my TED talk. <laughs> no, I like I got the numbers. We can move on. <laughs> I respect your night because I do think there's a certain amount of, especially with this faith. It's, it's you might come back another year and have a seven or a ten. I feel like for me, when people when they're talking about, it, like I always feel like where you are at that time. Mm-hmm is a lot of what the number comes from for me when I hear, and I'm kind of, you know, rating along 
while listening to the podcast with other people. And I'm going to go with 10. Don't doubt yourself, Asia. Um, (laughs) And I really think so much of it is that I've just been spending a lot of time in the 23rd Psalm. And Mm. as an Enneagram six, like I just, this whole movie, the idea of, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death and I will fear no evil. And it's not saying that there is an evil. I won't fear the evil (laughs) are with me. Like that's just kind of the only way there could be any hope and joy in like just that is just the spirit of God in my mind. And so I do, I just feel like Mm. it kind of encompasses the way um, I view God's kingdom of God on earth, honestly. Mm. Beautifully said. So that means that we gave us, please hold, I am mathing. (laughs) And (laughs) no, I'm kidding. The math was easy. Um, it 9.5 for life is beautiful, but that means, I mean, I think I know the answer from everybody, but would you recommend La Vita Bella to anyone? Asia? Uh, yes. I would probably give some caveats again as to this is, this is a war time film. Um, and there, there is some pretty, uh, rough material, uh, within it. But I would absolutely recommend it. I, I think it's I think it's uplifting. I think it's inspiring. I think it does everything a story is supposed to do. It hurts and it heals at the same time. So definitely. Amen. Yeah. Jess? Yeah. I mean, I don't think I could say it any better, Asia. Like that is exactly like I just I feel like it was well written, you know, and it holds up again. I mean, it's it's an older film at this point. It pains me to say things to me when I was like out of high school, just barely or like ancient now. But it's just it's a, it's a gorgeous film. Yeah, I agree. I wholeheartedly recommend it with the caveats that you said that it is a war movie. It does deal with heavy subject matter. It is a tragedy with comedic elements. Keep that in mind when viewing. And it is also in Italian. And so it is subtitled. So if that is a detraction for you, what is wrong with you? But also, (laughs) Um, (laughs) but yes, wholeheartedly, if those things are not an issue for you, recommend. So yes, we definitely recommend it. And that brings us to the end of Ladies Night, guys. so sad but it's been so much fun i had a good time i did too and so guys as we say on every episode the fear of god is the beginning of wisdom but not the end of the conversation and in that spirit we encourage you to fear nothing else and be on your way rejoicing read i hope i we did you proud (laughs) (laughs) we didn't break the podcast (laughs) all right Ladies, thank you so much for this session. Yeah, thank you. See ya.
The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not the end of the conversation. And you can continue the conversation in a variety of ways. You can start by visiting thefearofgodpodcast.com for all the latest news and episodes or for merchandise and to contact us directly. You can follow us on Twitter at The Fear of God, on Instagram at Fear of God Podcast, or join the Facebook Fear of God discussion group. Special thanks to Jacob Hunt of jacobhuntcomics.com for our artwork, to Lee Wright, who helped me read Lackey write our theme music, and to Tyler Smith at morethanonelesson.com for making our show possible. Lastly, be sure to subscribe to us on your podcast platform of choice, and if you listen to us through iTunes, we would greatly appreciate a rating and a review. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next week.